I was 19. No one in my family ever had had any kind of profession. And I wanted, I wanted to do something that was a profession. Welcome to Creating Community with Dorian and Jake, a podcast designed to bring area leaders, business owners, and other interesting people together to better our community. I'm your co-host, Jake Starkey. And I'm your other co-host, Dorian Strickland. We're the owners of 1820 Marketing and 1820 House in the heart of Albin, Texas. And we're in season two of the podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to showcase the amazing people, businesses, and organizations we have in and around Brazoria County. So if you know someone we should highlight, please email us at info at 1820marketing.com. Today, we are again at the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce, one of the sponsors of this podcast. Emergence Functional Nutrition is also a sponsor of this podcast, and you can learn more about them later in the show. If you're a first-time listener, we would love for you to subscribe to Creating Community on your favorite podcast app, Creating Community with Dorian and Jake. It's available wherever you get your podcast, or you can listen directly at 1820marketing.com slash podcast. In this episode, we're talking with Dave Barber. Dave is someone we met at the coffee house. And we keep learning more about him each time he's in. We think we have a lot to unwrap in this episode, so we're going to welcome Dave, and we're going to get started. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, Dave. So let's see if we can list off just a few things real quick and then dive into more specifics. All righty. 1970, Houston Police Academy. Yes. Class number 43. I'm trying to... Class number 43. uh, The pictures are in the hallway in the academy. They run all the way down a 70-foot hallway, come around the other side, come back the other hallway. They're up to class like 275. Oh, my gosh. I'm way at the beginning. (laughs) Early on. And then in 1993, you got your associate's degree from Alvin Community College. 2007, your bachelor's degree from U of H. Go Cougs. Yes. And then 2009, your master's degree from Sam Houston. Correct. Okay. And so you've been kind of in law enforcement since 1970. Uh, 43 years. 43 years. Wow. Wow. And then you ended your career at, uh, as far as in law enforcement at Alvin ISD? No, no, no. Hedwig, no, at Hedwig at, Village. At Hedwig Village. But you're Alvin Independent School District before that. You were chief at both of those places. Yeah, I, I started with the Houston Police Department. I spent 28 years there and retired as a captain. And a lot of times, captains from large agencies, naturally, the next step is a chief's job at a smaller agency. And there was an opening here at Alvin ISD. My daughter was going there, so I thought, hey, I live here. Oh, this, look at there. This yeah. match made in heaven. Yeah. And Did she think it. so? Uh, actually, yeah. <laughs> we got a pretty good relationship that Fantastic. way. She felt maybe protected. Good deal. But um, at any rate... School district policing is a very, very special niche for a very special kind of person. And having come from Houston at the captain's level, I was really uncomfortable with it. I stayed really? about Yeah, I stayed about two years. Then an opportunity arose to go back to municipality, which was Hedwig Village. And I went there and I was chief for 13 before I retired. Okay, and where is Hedwig Village? If you go out the Katy Freeway west from the Loop, right. you're familiar with Carter's Country? Uh-huh. Okay. That's... That's in the heart of Hedwig Village. Oh. It's about two mile stretch on the south side of I ten Service Road. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you heard it, but three weeks ago, maybe we interviewed Sam Davis, who is an officer currently at Alvin ISD. So, yeah, I, I know yeah. Sam. He and I went to church together. Did you really? Yeah. yeah oh, fantastic. Small world, right? It is. Yeah. They uh, Tish and uh, Sam ran into each other at the coffee shop. And oh yeah. Seen right. each other in. <laughs> it's years. been a while. Yeah. Wow. Good deal. And so now that you're no longer a chief and, and semi-retired, I don't right. know that retired is the right yeah, word. Yeah, that's probably uh, not the right word for you. You're an adjunct professor. Why do you think it's important to 
educate law enforcement officers as they can grow in their career. Oh, gee, that's really a we could we could camp there for a while. <laughs> uh, it's important. Education is important for cops, in my opinion, because it exposes you to diversity of views. I'm not talking about oh. far left and far right craziness like we're seeing today. Sure. But well, I'll, just to give you an example, just to give you an example, going into college, I was very much pro the death penalty. I think if you do the crime, you know, you, you sure. all get the punishment that goes with it. Okay. But it wasn't until I got into college and I started to study things like wrongful convictions and how many people had actually been executed who were innocent and they were found to be innocent after the yeah. fact that it shed new light on it. I'm still pro death penalty, but but it would take a lot more to convince me nowadays okay. that somebody deserves it than just an eyewitness testimony. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, so you're, Jake mentioned that you're an adjunct professor. It's at Sam Houston State University, right? right? In and, and you live in Alvin. Yes. So that's 100 miles or so. So why do you think it's so important? It's important enough for you that you're going to Sam Houston State University. Well, right? yes and no. The, the classes that I teach for the college are all online. So I teach my, my online classes in my jammies from my uh, recliner most <laughs> of the time. It works out real, real okay. well. But there's another aspect of Sam Houston State. There's an extension to Sam Houston State called the Texas Law Enforcement Management Institute. Okay. And it's very much like TEKS is to fire, if you're familiar with that in College okay. Station. Yeah. It's a continuing education for law enforcement officers and executives. And those are face-to-face -face programs, and I teach in five programs up there. So when I teach a, a class for Lemmet, I actually have to go up and stay. Okay, so how often do you find yourself going up there? Probably, oh, I don't know, anywhere from eight to ten times a year. Okay. Gotcha. And you pocket money at Goes yeah. into my old car fund. Your old car, which we will get to in a little bit. <laughs> for we will. sure, for sure, because you have some nice old cars. Um, like we said before, we've met you at the coffee shop. So mm -hmm. you come into the coffee shop. Right. We see you, and I kind of see you grading papers all the time. You're yes. constantly typing on the computer. Yes. But you're teaching, you said, continuing education courses? Well, is, is it the, the courses that I teach at Lemmet are strictly to law enforcement personnel of all ranks. Okay. And that's continuing education. Some of it's required by the state. Some okay. of it's elective. The college courses that I teach online are completely separate. Those okay. are college credit courses like any other college credit course. I got you. So the students that you have are people that really want to be there and want to learn what you're teaching. In the limit program? Yes. <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, most of them are there because they want to be there. Uh, some are voluntold by their chiefs <laughs> to attend this particular sure. training session. Okay. I guess I'm trying to think of what... What type of classes are the continuing education? Well, like I say, I teach in, in five different programs, so I'll talk about them. One of them is a new supervisor's course. Okay. It's yeah. required by the state, and it's a, a four-day course, so I'm up there for four days. Another one that I teach is a leadership course in the Leadership Command College, which is a program within Limit, and uh, that's that's just a six-hour block. Uh, I teach a two-day course on basic internal affairs to uh, uh, investigators. Most of them are detective ranks who do the internal investigations for their agencies. 
I teach a half-day course to constables, the elected officials, oh, yeah. on the basics of IA to get them started with their program. Let's see what else. I also teach a half a day to uh, new chiefs. Every Texas police chief has to, who, who's appointed for the first time has to go to a 40-hour school at Lemmet to get the basics of being a police chief. Okay. And one of, those, one of those sections is policy development, and I teach that as well. So when it comes to internal affairs, yes. let's talk stereotypes for a little <laughs> bit. Like you, if you watch any cop show yes. and the They're internal the affairs guys, guys yeah. they are is, the bad that, guys. is that a reality? Uh, it is a perception of some, but it's not really a reality. The fact of the matter is internal affairs investigations clear far more officers than they don't. And those officers that get burned, burn themselves. IA doesn't do it. Yeah. Uh, I've sure. never, I've never, uh, when I was with Houston, my last command was captain of internal affairs for Houston. And in that uh, two and a half years, gee, I must have managed 2,000, 2,500 cases. Wow. Okay. By manage, I'm talking about reading right. and making a decision as to what to do with that particular case. And I, I never saw a, a gotcha. It just didn't operate that way. Sure. It didn't operate that way. So yeah. there is the perception out there. Right. Oh, yeah. And there's always going to be that perception. But the fact of the matter, uh, cops do stupid things sometimes. <laughs> we all make mistakes, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and some of them aren't mistakes. Some of them are very intentional. And in, in something like law enforcement, when you have that much authority, you got to demonstrate some responsibility mm-hmm. with it. And IA is one of the tools that a chief uses to ensure some integrity and responsibility in the agency. Okay. So to be a police officer in general, you mm-hmm. probably have to have a little bit of a thick skin because you're viewed yes. as the bad guy from a lot yes. of people. Yes. Do you think that you have to develop an even thicker skin if you move into internal affairs? I used to laugh and joke about it because people didn't like me because I was a cop, and now cops don't like me because I'm <laughs> IA. So, yeah, there, there was um, a, a little bit of a transition there you kind of had to get used to. It, it's not as blatant as the movies would, right. would have. Exactly. And, and I'll, yeah. tell you, I'll tell you another sure. thing, too, uh, and this is something that people lose sight of. Most agencies don't have a full-time IA function. Houston did because it's huge. It's, it's huge, sure. And, and you know, I was, I was the captain. There were 63 of us in that, and that's a small division, wow. in that division who are responsible for internal investigations. When I teach basic IA, generally it's to smaller departments, and you have somebody who's a detective or a sergeant who has regular duties. And mm-hmm. learns to do the IA on the side, oh, okay. and and that's 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 a tough line to walk, because you're out on the street running calls with the guy that tomorrow may be in your oh. office and you're questioning yeah. about what happened out there, so it's a tough job for those guys, and and they have to kind of uh, know when to separate the supervisory hat from the internal affairs hat. Yeah, and that's interesting. Yeah, I, I was kind of curious when you said smaller jurisdictions, if it would have been say Alvin and Manville have a mutual aid situation where the Alvin detective goes and does Manville or something like that. But you make sense. That that does happen. Hmm. But, but I'll tell you when that happens, that happens when for some reason the agency feels it would be inappropriate 
to do the investigation. Sometimes sure. that could be because of a perceived bias. Sometimes it could be because the, the target officer, if I can use that term, is a high-ranking member of the department. Gotcha. Uh, there may be a lot of media pressure, depending on the nature of it. Okay. And sometimes to uh, enhance the perception of credibility, you'll bring in an outsider. But most of them uh, do their own. I was teaching the basic IA, and I had officers from Alvin ISD in there that sure. were there when wow. I was the chief at Alvin ISD. It was kind of yeah. neat. Well, you mentioned a second ago media, and I would think we would all agree that media has become more of a driving influence for the way things are handled sometimes. Is there special training that's going into police departments these days, specifically how to handle either media request or pushy media, for lack of a better term? A couple of ways to answer that. Uh, first, yes, there are some classes on that. Lemon where I teach up at SAM, offers PIO, public information officer right. courses. Most agencies have gotten to the point where they, even small ones, where they designate somebody to be PIO. And then they develop, they send them, get them trained. Then they develop policy for the rest of the group that basically says, don't say anything, refer them to PIO. Right. And, and it's, it's kind of a CYA. You have to do that because the media, if they get a hold of some officer who's inexperienced, um, will dig and go a lot of places they shouldn't go. Say something sure. stupid, yeah. maybe. Yeah. It, well, even even seasoned officers do that. Sure, I no, speak I from experience. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, actually, we were just talking about this because we have staff that were doing an interview this morning, and they were wondering about asking questions. I was like, just just don't say anything. Ask the question, let them answer, and then just sit <laughs> quietly. And that silence sometimes is the hardest thing. Yeah, yeah. and I because I was I was PIO, not for police department, but for a city. And it was that they would just sit there in silence and you would go, well, but you know, <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden now you're rabbit trailing down something. Yeah. Going, mm. yeah open in the box. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, we mentioned that we met you at the coffee shop right. at 1820. So tell us why you came at 1820 in the first place. Well, can I say Starbucks here in, in this uh, time? Oh, no, no, it's fine. No, <laughs> That'll be the first bleep we've ever done on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would go to Starbucks to grade papers. That was long before I even knew you all were here. Sure. sure. And uh, interesting story about Starbucks, maybe we'll get to a little bit later on. But uh, one of the ladies that is a friend of my wife lives right around the corner from you, and she would call my wife and say, meet at 1820, meet at 1820. And my wife kept telling me about it, but... You know, I'm a creature of habit. I would <laughs> sure. go to Starbucks. And uh, uh, then when COVID and all of that hit, they closed down the inside. And uh, I was looking for someplace else. And I heard that you all were open inside. So I came by and uh, didn't know anything about you. I assumed 1820 was referenced to something that happened in 1820. It was referenced <laughs> as, to a As date, most people do. Yeah, most people or, do. Or, or something along those lines. And then when I saw what it was a reference to, Matthew eighteen twenty, two or more gathered in the Christian reference, well, that struck a chord with me. Uh, I'm an evangelical Christian, not ashamed of it. And I started coming to 1820, and I sit there and I grade papers. I see people with Bibles. I see Bible right. studies in the back room. I hear conversations where the Lord is mentioned openly. I'm comfortable there. Okay. That's great. Good to hear. Yeah. Won't get teary eyed at that at all. <laughs> right. That means something to us. We appreciate that. Um, we're going to take a quick break and thank our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll be talking with Dave Moore about policing 
teaching, and whatever else we decide. Hi, this is Amy Shelton with Emergence Functional Nutrition. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Are you looking for a sustainable diet and lifestyle changes to get you to the place where you want to be? I invite you to book a free discovery session. Go to www.efn.fit. Hi, this is Carrie Perrin, President and CEO of the Alva Manville Area Chamber of Commerce. Here at the Chamber, we want to support local businesses. We want to give you visibility in the community. We want to give you opportunity in the community. And for those of you that aren't business owners, we want to let you know about all our wonderful Chamber members. And if you support them, you support our community. So remember, whether you're a business or a community member, when you eat, shop, play, and support local business, you support the community. And we're back talking with Dave. Dave, we were talking about 1820 and you were coming in there and so forth. We, as you know, we have a local artist who displays her artwork there, sometimes sells it. I know that she came in one day and she immediately recognized your older car sitting outside. I believe it was your red vet, if I'm not mistaken. And she said, Dorian, who's, uh, who's, whose car is that? Do you know who that is? And I said, yeah, it's Dave over here. She goes, can you introduce me? I want to take his, his truck's, his car's picture. So I introduced and she went out and took pictures because she was going to do what with them? Well, that's exactly what happened. And I'm glad that you just shared that with me because I didn't know how she fingered me as the vet owner. She asked me. <laughs> I thought I was sitting right at the front right. table with a car parked right out in front. It's 1971 Corvette. I try not to let it out of my sight. Right. And it was parked right out front. I just assumed she came in and saw me sitting in front of the car and made that assumption. So now I know that, that you, in fact, tipped her off. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh oh. <laughs> no. And, and, you know, she came up and, and she, she introduced herself and she said she'd like to take a picture of the car. And, from, and you were very generous and you said, well, oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. yeah, but you don't know what I was thinking. That's one of the things <laughs> That's one of the things about cops. They say one thing and they're smiling, oh, but you never know what they're you. thinking. Okay. Okay, so in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, who is this woman? What's her angle? Yep. And what, what, where's the hook in this? Well, that's why you asked yeah. me afterwards. I remember <laughs> yeah. you asked me yeah. about it. And, and she told me. I didn't say those things right. to her, but uh, she told me what she did. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's an incredible artist. The artwork is hanging all through 1820. And uh, so I said, okay. And, and to be honest with you, uh, I've been told a lot of things by a lot of people. I really didn't expect anything to come from it. <laughs> and, you know, I'll be darned if what, a couple and, of and months later. And I told later, you, I said, you might be surprised. Yeah, she might just yeah. do it. A couple of months later, I walk in and there's in, I don't know, 18 by 36 size, <laughs> a big, huge glass covered hand drawing painting in that specific style. Yeah, it's it's that a pastel. She does. It's right? beautiful. And it's Julie uh, Howard, by the way. Yes, so, Julie yeah, Howard. Yep. And uh, there's, there's the rear end of my car. And she had told me that if I allowed her to do this, she would get me a copy. And again, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, yeah, okay. I've been told a lot of things. And and sure enough, about six weeks after, she brought one into you yep. because I wasn't available. And uh, it's it's proudly hanging at the house. It's beautiful. I was going to ask you where it was. So oh, it's, yeah. it's in the house in, in a bookshelf where I have a lot of. But she took memories. it the extra level too. She changed the license plate to so say they, 1820. To yeah. say 1820, yeah. right? Which for us is fantastic. Well, yeah. it's good yeah. advertisement for you. It's also protection for me. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. Um, one question I'm always fascinated about 
with police officers or firefighters or military even. He's a uh, former military. My dad was a police officer. Oh, what okay. drew you to being a police officer to begin with? Again, that's we could spend a lot of time on that. It's, it's kind of a, a in-depth question. Uh, I was 19 when oh. I joined the Houston Police Department. Wow, okay. It was one of the first classes, if not the first class, where they let 19, I think it was the first class where they let 19-year-olds in. Prior to that, it was 21. They have since gone back to the 21 because right. it didn't work out so well. <laughs> but I was 19. No one in my family ever had had any kind of profession. Huh. And oh, I wanted, wow. I wanted to do something that was a profession. I didn't want to be in a, an office. I wanted to be outside. I wanted diversity. And to be honest with you, I first looked at the fire department because you could get in at 18. <laughs> and right, and okay. I was 18 at the time. And I went by the fire academy and saw that four-story tower Mm-hmm. And I saw people going up ladders on this four-story tower. I can't get up on a step ladder and change a light bulb without my knees shaking. <laughs> okay. So I decided this probably isn't for me. And then when I turned 19, the, the thought of police officer, professional, helping people, all of those kind of things, yeah. excitement, action, uh, was really appealing. It was disappointing in some ways because it's like the service. It's It's, you know... Hours and hours and hours of boredom sprinkled in with moments of stark terror. Right, right. But, sure. But uh, that, that's what the draw was. So do you ever look back and regret joining the police department? Or is there ever a moment in your life where you're like, you know what, I really wish I had done something else? In retrospect, I think the best way to answer that is I'm glad I did what I did, but I wouldn't want to do it again. Okay. So that's that's a fair answer. Sure. Well, I, I think there's a lot of office police officers who have they're on the end of their career, right? And they're looking at officers who are joining now and thinking, man, it is drastically different from when I started my career to how it is today uh, for, for new officers. Yes. You know, I I still remember my dad. His um, police issued weapon was a revolver. Yes. And and now I don't I don't know what it is now, but it's not a revolver. <laughs> yeah, most carry forty caliber semi automatics yeah. or forty five ACPs. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that to me is a big difference. For some reason, in my head, just going from six shots to ten there, to fifteen. There are, well, they did that in order to keep up with the criminals. Exactly. You know, but but that's just that's that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, I go down here to local gym. And uh, uh, there's a couple of guys in there who are cops. One of them has been with Houston about three or four years, and I started talking with him before he ever decided to quit his CPA business and join the police department. (laughs) You know, whatever, whatever you want to do. But at at any rate, uh, I talk to him on a regular basis, and he shares what's going on, and I compare it with the way things were when I was on the street it's not the same job. It's just not the same job. And I couldn't go back today. Other than the fact I'm an old man, I couldn't go back today and get in a police car and function under the rules they function with today. Hmm. Wow. It'd be crazy. 
Well, you mentioned, and, and you said it, not me. You're an old man. That's what you said, not me, just for clarification. But you also said you go to a local gym down yes. here. It's clear from anybody that knows you or sees you that you are a very, still a physically fit individual. So what is it that you do to keep your mind sharp, your body fit, those kind of things? What are you doing daily, day, uh, day to day? Well, I, I think that the gym speaks for the the uh, physical fitness aspect. I've been a gym rat since I was a kid. Okay. And um, back through my 20s and through my late 30s, I, I power lifted. I competed with a local team down in Houston called the Bulldogs. Okay. Uh, there's a thing called the Police Olympics, which is as its name implies. Really? It's an Olympic competition where only police officers uh, can participate. And they did powerlifting, shot put, and discus. And I did all of those things throughout the years. Uh, I got the scars on the three back operations to prove it, too. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I, I don't do that anymore. Those days are gone. But I still go to the gym, and I work out as hard as I, I, I tell people. I say, you know, I go into the gym 71 years old. I work out like I'm 21 years old. I go home feeling 171 <laughs> years old. Right. And that pretty much sums it up. So, you know, that kind of keeps me physically fit. Uh, teaching the classes at SAM, and especially having to be on your toes for live presentations, probably keeps my mind sharp more than anything else. And I read a lot. I read a lot for pleasure. So yeah. all of that kind of keeps my head stimulated. Okay. What do you like to read? I'm, you, I'm sure you have to read a lot for You're, you're talking classing. about for pleasure? Yeah, what, yes. what do you read okay. for fun? We will, we will exclude uh, uh, religious materials for this particular segment. Yeah. And, and I read a lot of crime dramas. Sure. Uh, Michael Conley, I read a lot of his stuff. Uh, David Balducci, if these names ring a bell oh, to yeah. you. I'm reading uh, one by Ian Rankin now, oh, okay. if you're familiar with any of those. And they're, they're crime dramas. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. I guess it, I'm, I'm always interested in the fact that you've lived a life doing law enforcement to then turn around. Some people want to not have anything to do with that. And then some people want to read the books, you know what I mean? Like, and I don't think there's a right or wrong on that. No, it's just interesting to me that, yeah, I can know. relate to them, I guess. Sure. I relate to the characters and the one character in the Ian Rankin books is real crotchety, obnoxious. Uh, and yet he's a great investigator and you can't help but like him. You, nice. You know, yeah. That type yeah. of guy. So yeah, it's, it's good. You you mentioned the difference between when you became a police officer and the police officers of today. Yes. What do you think is the biggest change, positive or negative? The degree of scrutiny, without a doubt. The degree of scrutiny. Wow. Yeah. You, you know, when I was on the street, I didn't even have to call out and tell the dispatcher I was out on traffic. Now, oh. that did change while I was oh, still in sure. the career. Uh, but body cameras, in-car video cell phone cameras, that sort of thing have brought a degree of scrutiny to cops that I'd never seen before. Sure. And what exacerbates all of that is an overall societal trend to try to catch cops short, to Absolutely. make a story, yeah. you know, to, to, be, to be the next Rodney King reporter. Well, right. which means people are looking out to try to find 
what they believe to be bad cops, right? right Whether right. it's true or not. But do you think that, so there's a, there's a segment of the community that believes that all cops are bad. Do you think that ever changes or do you think that that will always be the case? Always has been, always will be. And, right. and it's kind of like a political election. You have your pro cops and no matter what happens, they're pro cops. You have your anti cops and no matter what happens, they're anti cops. And then there's this group of independents that sways back and forth depending sure. on the winds at the time. Yeah. Just because we never get to ask these questions, do you have any funny or good stories about being a police officer? You ever heard the expression open mouth and surf foot? <laughs> sure, I see it all the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> let, let me give you a, a good example. Uh, I'd been on the streets probably for, so we were talking about, this, this was 45 years ago, been on the street four or five years. Had a partner. And we get a call, disturbance, gun involved. So we get to this particular location, and there's two groups of people in this man's backyard. There is a man in a wheelchair. He's an amputee. He's sitting in a wheelchair. He has four or five people behind him who are his friends, relatives on his side, if you will. Right across from them is another man, and this is the property owner whose property we're standing on, and he has four or five people behind him okay (laughs) and they're 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 kind of arguing and squaring off one against the other so we get we roll up and i was on the ground now i'll tell you what that means in a two-man unit we would take turns driving whoever was driving was the driver the other officer was on the ground asked all the questions did all the reports and then later on you would switch off so i was on the ground so it was my responsibility to quote run the scene address it sure so we're talking and it turned out this is what happened the fellow the amputee in the wheelchair has a dog and the dog is like a a german shepherd mixed dog good-sized dog the guy whose backyard we were in uh, has rabbits in a cage. You can see where this is going, can you? Yeah, yes. for yeah. sure. And there had been a long going feud because the dog would get out of his yard, get into this guy's yard, and try to get into the rabbit cages. This one particular day, the dog got loose and actually got in the cage and killed a couple of the rabbits. It was in a process of mauling a third one when the owner of the house came out with a gun, popped the dog, killed the dog. Wow. Wow. Well, then the dog owner finds out about it, and he comes over with his group. He rolls over. Again, he's an amputee in a wheelchair. He rolls over. And I keep saying that because there's a point. Yeah, I <laughs> there was. He, he rolls over, and he has his, uh, his contingent with him, and the other guy has his. And they're arguing back and forth about sure. the responsibility for the dog and the rabbits and whatnot. And they mentioned guns, so the dispatcher heard a gun had been involved. So we roll two-man unit, disturbance gun involved. So I get to listening to all of this, and I'm trying to explain to the dog owner that his dog had gone into this other person's property, had got into their rabbit cage, had killed a couple of his rabbits, and that what the man did was not a crime. Maybe it was unnecessary. Maybe it could have been handled differently, but what he did wasn't a criminal offense. I said, you can't, and he was insistent, he was adamant that I put this man in jail, the, the guy who shot the dog. And I'm trying to explain to him, I, there really is no offense. Sure. So I said, 
you know, perhaps you could file some kind of civil suit. You could uh, maybe maybe take it to a small claims court or something. And no, he was adamant. He he insisted something be done. This individual had to go to jail, otherwise I wasn't doing my job. And he started getting testy with me. Well, you know, I got a little bit testy back and forth with him, and the back and forth went on for a little bit. And finally, I looked at him, and all these people are watching this. I said, I'm going to tell you what, partner. If you think you can file criminal charges, you make an appointment with a district attorney. You go run this down to him. I'll make sure there's an offense report, and you try to file criminal charges. Or if you don't want to do that, or if in combination with that, you want to get a lawyer and file some kind of a lawsuit, you go ahead and you knock your lights out. Then I looked at this guy without thinking and said, but I'm going to tell you something, friend. You don't have a leg to stand (laughs) on. And... The plate, it just went silent. Yeah. <laughs> and I looked over at my partner, and I wish we were on camera right now because you could have seen the look on his face. And I looked around, and everybody, both sides of this argument were there with their jaws just dropped. And, you know, what do you do in a situation like that? Right. I slithered away. What else yeah. could I do? But it's, it's, a, it's a story that I've told a number of times, and it's just, you know, even in something like that, as bad a situation it was, you can see a little bit of humor. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I'll tell you, there's a comedian, Dave Gardner, from back in the 60s, and somebody said something to Dave about, did he know what he was doing? And Dave Gardner says, if I knew what I was doing, I would go hide. Right. Well, that's kind of the way I've lived my life. I can't imagine how many times I have opened my mouth and stuck my foot in it. But we all do. Yeah. It's just I don't seem to learn from it. Well... Well, we really appreciate you joining us on the podcast today. We love the stories. And we love hanging out with you at uh, the coffee shop. And so here's the thing. Typically, we point people to how they can find you online or whatever else to kind of let however, people get to know you. <laughs> however, you're not on Facebook. You're not on Instagram. I don't tweet. Uh, I, I saw how much trouble Trump got with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I don't tweet. I'm not on Facebook and I'm, and I'm not on Instagram. And it's, it's not necessarily that I'm against those things it's just i'm not really a computer person um relatively private person and i just never got into it i see way too many people who are so engrossed with that stuff you know my wife will bring me look at this picture of food that somebody she went to high school with you know 40 years ago (laughs) took a picture of their meal at some restaurant and it's all over facebook that is a uh that is a very good way to look at it (laughs) you know what do i care i'm looking at that far you know i don't don't need it but um i i can be found probably through 1820 virtually anytime I will say you're there more than you used to be there, so I, we enjoy seeing you. Well, so. I appreciate it. My my attendance kind of wanes with the off season. Sure, you know the end of the semester is um, uh, middle of December, so middle of December to middle of January, I'll probably be a little bit less frequent. Less, sure, but I sure. still like coffee, so I'll right. be there. Fantastic. And I know what you started to say was we have the best coffee in town, but you didn't say it. That's okay. We won't hold that against you. <laughs> it's good coffee. Yes. yes. And thank you, Dave, for coming on the show. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming. If you're interested in sponsoring Creating Community, we'd love to talk to you. Our goal is to reach our community and let them know about great leaders and businesses that are helping to make it better. If you want to be a part of that, please email us at info at 1820marketing.com to start the conversation. Speaking of sponsorship, thank you to Emergence Functional Nutrition, 
and the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce for sponsoring the show. Thank you again to the chamber for allowing us to come into their building and record this. Creating Community with Dorian and Jake is produced by 1820 Marketing and is available wherever you get your podcasts. Show notes and more are available at 1820marketing.com slash podcast as well. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week.